everyone, and welcome back to the Voices of Forestry podcast. I'm your host, Seth Stevenson, the Communications Coordinator with the Arkansas Forestry Association. And today we're doing things a little bit differently, kind of like what we did in our Christmas tree farm episode. Uh, We are doing a phone interview with our guest this month because he is actually out on site doing pretty much doing the thing we're going to be talking about today. Uh, So today I would like to introduce to you guys Clint Johnson, a private lands biologist with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Clint, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, Seth? I can't complain. Not yet anyways, but I do want to say thank you for uh, taking some time out of your day. Uh, We kind of, we've been talking back and forth for a while now trying to get this going and I just happened to catch you on a burn day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for being uh, being flexible, and I uh, appreciate you having, having me on the show and uh, giving me a chance to talk. Yeah, absolutely. So the thing we're talking about today is prescribed fire. Clint is uh, our go-to guy when it comes to prescribed fire education. I know our forestry educator, Rob Beadle, uh, utilizes your expertise quite a lot in some of his workshops that he does around the state. So, Clint, if you could, before we hop into what prescribed fire is, just kind of tell tell us what you do. What what's your job okay. entail? Yeah. So, um, as a private lands wildlife biologist, um, I assist land landowners in managing their land for wildlife habitat, and that that could mean a lot of different things, kind of depending on what their goals are and what kind of property they have, basically what kind of plant communities they have to work with. So if we're, uh, if we're you know, near, near the Arkansas River and bottomland system, we're managing for ducks. If we're in the Ozarks on a dry hillside, might be managing for turkey or quail or whatever the case may be. But taking a look at that piece of property, figuring out what it would be good for, what the landowner's objectives are, and then working through a management plan with them to, to achieve those goals. Uh, so a lot of times that involves forestry, maybe herbicide use, uh, prescribed fires, frequently a, a pretty pretty big part of that management plan. Okay. And now it, let's talk about prescribed fire itself because that's what we're here to talk about this month. What okay. exactly, when, when, when I say the term prescribed fire, what exactly does that mean? So the, the textbook uh, definition of prescribed fire is using fire as a management tool to do a specific thing on a specific burn unit uh, to accomplish a land management objective. Um, so what that means is we're using uh, we're using a naturally occurring uh, disturbance, fire, uh, to do something that we can measure, that we can predict, uh, that's going to do something good for us out there on the landscape. So uh, and then we and we want that in a specific burn unit. Um, with the idea being that the fire doesn't get out of the unit, stays where we want it to be, it doesn't go anywhere else. So those those objectives may be uh, hazardous fuel reduction. It may be uh, killing uh, small cedar trees under under head high, for example, is, is pretty common. It may be removing dead grass to uh, to improve a field for quail habitat. So there, there's a lot of different things that that we can use prescribed fire for. Fire four, it's one of our most valuable tools in the toolbox. But the unique thing about fire is that it's one of the only natural forces. When I talk about natural forces, things like precipitation and and wind and temperature, uh, fire and sunlight. Fire is is one of those, but it's the only one that we can almost control, but definitely very heavily influence. And now this is something that has been going on for a while. This is not a new innovative creation that's happened here in the last 20 30 40 years this has been going on since native i mean native americans have used this process way way back in the day is that correct yeah that's correct so 
prescribed fire use pretty close to the way we use fire today probably predates our species of Homo sapiens. So uh, probably other other uh, species in the Homo genus, um, we don't definitely use fire for cooking, and it is not a far stretch to think that, that uh, those hominids uh, use fire as a land management tool. We, we know definitely that Native Americans did. Uh, there's very clear evidence of that. When, um, when DeSoto uh, made his, his first explorations into the southeast, he wrote that he traveled in clouds of smoke for days on end and, and rode horses for, for several days through black ground and you know never never saw unburnt ground for, for days at a time. Uh, so we, we know definitely that, that Native Americans knew what they were doing with fire. And now that's something that's interesting is kind of going back to what we were ta- you were talking about a second ago is many see fire as a strictly destructive force of nature. Right. But in this instance, and, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but in this instance, this is, it, it, it's strategic in clearing out some of the harmful uh, invasive species, I guess, in, in some instances, to make sure that trees, for example, get the right nutrients and they're not getting, things on the ground aren't getting clogged up. Right. Yes, yeah, so fire definitely can be a destructive force. Um, one way to look at fire is, you know, we talked about the, those natural forces, floods, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, fire is going to happen. So we live in an environment surrounded by plants that have evolved to be flammable. Uh, oak trees, for example, they uh, they hit the ground, they curl up and make a fluffy leaf litter layer. Um, most of our native grasses and native wildflowers um, specifically leave their their dead stems above ground every every fall to increase flammability. So these these habitats are going to burn. So we could either let them burn when Mother Nature wants them to burn, which is you know what what happens in the West. Um, and, and other other areas, depending on the fire season, every year, or we could let that happen under our conditions, whether under prescribed fire, and let that be something that's useful to us rather than something we're trying to fight. And so, this isn't, I guess, another thing that I kind of wanted to touch on is just like everything else that I'm realizing with forestry is there's a lot of science that you guys. I don't want to say put into it, but there's a lot of science that you guys have to take into consideration before you right. just pick a place, say, hey, we're going to go burn on this piece of property on this day. Let's do it. Like there's a lot uh-huh. of prep and considerations that you guys have to think about, correct? Yeah, definitely. So there's there's for sure a lot of planning uh, to it. So we, we don't burn and I don't recommend landowners burn without a burn plan. Um, that that includes a map where the fire is going to go, where it's not going to go. Um what direction we want the wind blowing to carry the smoke where it's not going to do any damage and all the environmental, all the weather factors that we're looking for. So we can actually, um, people smarter than me, um, you know, put together computer programs to model fire behavior. So if you tell me what the weather's going to be on a particular day, the fuel moisture of different sizes of fuels out there in the landscape, I can tell you using that computer program, what the fire is going to do. I can also tell you, what size saplings it's going to kill, uh, what size saplings it's not going to kill. So there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of fire um, science going into that, um, but there's also a lot of art to that as well. So there's things that the, the fire program can model, and there's there's things that it can't. 
So on, on top of all that science, we also have to use just experience of us putting fire on the ground to kind of fine tune uh, the fire on burn day to get the results that we want. So it's not getting quite hot enough. We can throw a little more head fire at it. We can use the wind, use the terrain to our advantage. If it's getting a little little too warm, we can use backing fires and, and adjust it that way. So we can, we can fine tune uh, out there on, on burn day as well. And I mean, and this is a big group endeavor as well. You guys have a lot of people out there watching the fire, making sure it's not getting too out of hand. Um, I mean, it art is a, a fantastic word that I would use for this, that it is an art that you guys do out there. Yeah, and I could I could compare it to, to even choreographing a dance of all the um, all the all the people out there that are putting fire on the ground, that are holding the line, making sure the fire's not getting out and choreographing all those people along with the fire moving across the unit. Uh, can get can get pretty complex at times. And one thing I do want to touch on before we, I guess, move forward with with any of our discussions is the safety aspect of this. Because again, we are dealing with a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A very unpredictable uh, force of nature here, and yeah. safety is a huge part in this whole thing. It's, I mean, again, it's not you guys running out there with a matchbook and a can of gasoline. It's, right. There's a lot of safety things that have to be taken into account. So if you could just kind of explain to me what are what are some of the safety safety issues that you guys look at when you go out and do this. So the the planning uh, before burn day a lot of times is a, a year or more in advance. Uh, we may be doing various treatments, uh, timber timber harvest, herbicide work, whatever, uh, leading up to that burn. So we we plan this for a pretty good while before burn day. Uh, we've we've prepared a fire break, so that that could be uh, mowing through a field to use as wet lines. It could be using a leaf blower to create a hand line. It could be dozers, whatever, uh, to create an unburnable surface around that fire break. So that that takes some time as well, as well as just sitting around and, and thinking about choreographing that dance in your head and, and how you want the fire to behave in the landscape, and then modeling that. And that all goes into the burn plan. Because uh, most of that burn plan is is focused on safety, so um, you know we're going to put in there uh, the minimum number of people, the minimum equipment that we we think we need for that burn. We're going to put in directions to the nearest hospital. Um, there's there's a lot going in there to to make sure that everything goes safe. For, from a safety standpoint, um, you know when when we look at a lot of landowners ask me about liability. What happens if the fire gets out? To be honest with you, a fire getting out and actually causing property damage is so rare of an instance, that's a hard question to answer. So what does happen when the fire gets out, can't really tell you because that happens so infrequently. Um, it's a very, very small percentage um, of, of properly planned. I want to emphasize that prescribed fires that have burned plants were planned properly of getting out are ridiculously rare. Well, and that's how specific, I mean, you guys are getting in these plans is, is I guess, having that rarity in any burn is a testament to the burn plan and the preparations that you guys take into to account before getting out and actually putting fire to ground. And, and we, we talk about all this planning, all this knowledge that has to go into it, um, that, that intimidates landowners a lot of time. 
this is something that's attainable for landowners. I've got a, a lot of private landowners that, that I deal with that burn on a regular basis that I've that I've trained up. We've got classes that we teach uh, landowners are prescribed fire. We've got equipment that we loan out. Um, you look at other states, uh, particularly like uh, Oklahoma, Nebraska, I'm from Nebraska, uh, Kansas. Um, the private landowners there actually burn way more than any of the state or federal agencies in those states. Um, so this is, this is definitely something that, that's doable for private landowners. There's a lot to go into it, but um, yeah, I, I promise you I'm not the smartest person in the world that's figured all this out. This is, this is something that normal people can, can achieve if I can do it. Well, that kind of brings me to the landowner side of things that I wanted to talk with you about too was, you know, let's for all intents and purposes, let's say I'm a landowner. How do I know if prescribed fire is right for my property is that something that you just have to talk with like a consultant or a professional like yourself about yeah definitely but if, if you if you don't do this stuff for a living managing the land um you, you need to reach out to somebody that does that could be a forester it could be a consulting forester forester division game and fish quail forever nrcs i mean there's there's a whole host of people that work in this private lands arena they're willing to help you that, that have the expertise. They can come out, uh, figure out what your objectives are, write that plan for you and actually get funding for you to do the things that you want to do on your property. So yeah, definitely reach out. And I would say to multiple sources of, of advice, uh, get, get as much differing, uh, much diversity of, of advice as you can talk to a biologist, talk to a forester, um, get all those different viewpoints, put them together and figure out what you want to do. Yeah, and I guess that kind of goes back to your earlier point, too, is that this isn't just for making sure your trees have enough nutrients. This is could be a wild, you could have a wildlife objective or many different other things for a prescribed sure. fire. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and most of the landowners that I deal with, they don't only have one objective on the property. They've got, you know, this, this pasture they need, they need cattle on, this, this field over here they need some hay cut on. This field over here, they want for quail habitats. We have to balance all those things. And I'm sure that uh, that balance is just be- goes back into the burn plan that you guys do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the the burn plan, I mean, that that's just uh, that's just one tool in the toolbox um, that that goes toward that the overall management plan for the property. So that that's the first step is figuring out where where are you going with this property? What do you want to do with it? What do you want to see? change here over the next 10 15 20 years and then there's there's going to be all these components and burns can be part of that 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 go to affect that whole management plan for the whole property clint if you could so you're actually out on a property right now that you guys are about to to start burning right yeah so i'm we're going to be burning on uh camp robinson special use area and stone prairie wildlife management area so i'm burning a uh, game of fish ground today but i was on a private landowner uh, yesterday so well, we'll do both well, if you could just kind of walk me through, what does the, you know, when you get to the property, what does the process look like for, for you and your crew to, you know, get suited up and then start burning? What's that, what's that day look like for you guys? Uh, so we generally um, have everybody meet um, at the shop or whatever the rally point is going to be, uh, 10 or today it's 1030 in the winter. We, we start a little lighter, wait, wait for the frost to burn off. Uh, but everybody shows up with their, their ATVs, UTVs, with all their kind of personal gear, uh, get it all fueled up, make sure the drip torches have enough fuel, um, get our PPE, personal protective equipment on, their Nomex clothes. Um, and I recommend the 
same for landowners. We've got we've got all this equipment available uh, to check out uh, for very very nominal fee to landowners. Um, make sure all our water pumpers are running. Get all all the gear second check. Get everybody together and uh, basically present that burn plan to them to to let it, all the crew know because. Of course, a lot of people are coming to help, have never seen this property, don't know what the goals are, don't know what, even what we're burning. So we're going to present that burn plan to them so they know the fuels that we're burning today and what we want to accomplish. So every everybody on the crew, everybody on the ground knows what kind of fire we want out there. And that gives them the power, if, if, they, if they've got the experience, to be able to manipulate, okay, I, I think I need a little bit of a head fire here and and be able to play with that fire behavior and make it do what we want it to do. Uh, go through that briefing, have the maps, and um, and talk about that that dance, the choreography that we're going to go through, and then go go enact it. Start the music, basically. <laughs> well, now, and that's it, it's. I guess that's interesting that it is kind of you have this burn plan, but and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it is also relying on the expertise of some of the people out out there to recognize, I guess, when something may be getting a little out of con- out of control or a little too hot, um, I right. guess that's a big a big factor of, of it as well. Yep, yeah, definitely. There's 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 definitely a lot of um, still some flexibility in that burn plan to to fine tune uh, the fire behavior that day to make it make it do what we want it to do, and that's going to change over the course of the burn day as well. So if we if we move on a onto a south slope that's a little hotter, a little drier. That's going to take a little bit different approach. A quarter mile down the fire break, the hill turns. Now we have an east slope. That's going to take a different approach. So we're we're fine tuning that as the day goes on. Now this may be a bit of a a dumb question, but I just I want to ask. Um, you know, you're you're setting fire to a property for whatever your goal may be for that property. But mm-hmm. again, if I'm a tree farmer and I and I want to prescribe fire. How how do I know that it's not going to burn down my precious crop um, whenever you start whenever you start uh, burning? Well, we so we start out with why do we want to burn? What do we want to accomplish? So let's say we've got a pine plantation that that was thinned three years ago for the first time. We've got a lot of slash on the ground that we want to consume. Um, so we can know okay how much fuel out there do we have to consume? What sizes are they? Do we have uh, small limbs the size of your pinky or is it big stuff the size of your arm so knowing what we want the fire to accomplish we can start um, kind of back, back calculating and reverse engineering the fire that we want so we can plug in those fire behavior models to spit out okay we need a head fire two feet tall moving at this speed and that'll tell us the weather parameters that we're looking for so you know, we we shouldn't have any surprises it's not that we throw fire on the ground and see what it does we know hey i'm gonna get a three foot head fire I'll put fire on the ground today so it all just uh, comes back to that science then i mean you know in a little right. bit of the burn plan right right so we we, we help landers do that all all the time so i might help a landowner um you know review a burn plan refine those weather parameters for them and they might call me, uh, hey, tomorrow I'm going to burn the stand behind the shop. Um, I've already seen that. I know what you want to do with it. Um, here's the weather parameters. Do you think it'll work? And I'll give them the feedback using 
my expertise. And yeah, I think that you know tomorrow would be a good day for you. I would light a year, put a head fire a year, back a year, and walk through that dance with them, and they they go go implement that and do it on their own. Okay. Well, Clint, I'm. Is there anything else that I'm missing that you want to talk about, or you'd like to add before we kind of start wrapping things up? I think I kind of hit all the highlights. Um, yeah. It's the you know the safety, what it is, how it's been around for a while, and what people need to do if they if they're interested. But is there anything that you want to you want to add here? Uh, just just to reiterate, if if you've never had a professional forester biologist, whoever walk over your property with you, uh, call somebody. Uh, Game of Fish Private Lands Biologist, Quell Forever, Farm Bill Biologist, the Forester Division Forester, a Consulting Forester, um, NRCS the, is a good place to start and kind of figure out which direction you want to go. But talk to somebody, get some sort of written plan on your property and, and go from there. Yeah, and that's one thing that we've kind of been talking about quite a lot here over the past couple episodes is mm-hmm. is just straight up making a phone call. That's the first right. step, and you know, even if you may not know what exactly you want to do, you can at least start talking to somebody who, who's an expert in this field and who can help you and guide you to get to where your property, where you want your property to be. Yeah, definitely. I, I work with a lot of people that have owned a property for thirty years, and I get out there and say, well, "Why do you own this?" And, well, I really don't know. They've they just never never thought about that. Never thought about what that property could do for them. Uh, you never never know until you start exploring those options. Yeah, and then these people are out there to help help landowners to get them again where they need to be to make sure that they're doing right. what they need to do to uh, sustainably manage their land. Yep, that's what we're here for. Awesome. Well, Clint, man, again, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Uh, I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. We had a couple yeah, of hiccups, but uh, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, good to talk to you, Seth. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, anytime. Well, and we want to thank you guys, too, for listening to this month's episode of Voices of Forestry. Like always, we want to give a special shout-out to some guy named Rob slash Rob McCormick for the use of our theme song, The Same Love, off of his album, The Folkster. You can find more of his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And if you're interested about more information for the Arkansas Forestry Association, you can visit arcforest.org. That's A-R-K-F-O-R-E-S-T-S. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to the Voices of Forestry. I've been your host, Seth Stevenson. Have a good day.